our hope for holiness. And we're going to be looking at those scriptures we just read. But before we do, I want to read some other scriptures that the Apostle Peter wrote that really uh, feel the direction we're going when we look at our hope for holiness. <clears throat> this is 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. This is what it says. It says, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is God's word. Let me, let me pray for us. Will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for the privilege of being your church and to be here with our church family to be looking at your precious and very great promises. Thank you, God. If, if someone's here, I know I, I've come to church, not ready to be here, not prepared to meet with my family. I, I know there's parents that just struggled to get kids here. I know there's couples that got in a fight coming here. I know there's got to be someone who did something they absolutely regret this week. I know there is so much hurt and pain. People who are sick, have been sick, can't find any relief. Oh God, I just ask you by your Holy Spirit to overcome every obstacle that would prevent us from really seeing and savoring you this morning. And, and being transformed, Lord. Whatever's holding us back, God, enable us to lay it at your feet. God, I pray that your word would be supreme here, that Christ would increase, I would decrease, and that people would hear from you and they would see your glory and excellence and they would be attracted to it. Help me get out of your way, Lord. And uh, if there's anything you have to, to say that I don't know and I haven't prepared for, Lord, just, just do it, work it. And uh, may this be a very special moment for all of us as we study your, 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 great, and very, your very great and precious promises, Lord. Thank you. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Um, you know, when I read 1 Peter 1, 14 and, or excuse me, 15 and 16, of course, verse 14 too, because it connects to, to this. You know, I, I don't know if you experience this too, but I experience this. I sometimes get a little deflated. I've, I am overwhelmed with the fact that God is really holy. And, and he says, I'm to be holy. Not just in some of my conduct, but all of my conduct. 
when I read that a lot of times, and I, I believe it, I believe, believe both those things. God's holy. I'm supposed to be holy too. I, I, I can't help but just say, God, I, I'm sorry. I, I really struggle here, God. I, I don't know how I can do this. Have mercy on me. God, please. And that's because I got a little cramp right there. That's not, no, that's not, forgive me. I'm just telling you I've got a cramp. Oh. I do, I get, I get overwhelmed with the holiness of God. I believe it. I believe it. I get overwhelmed because I believe it. And, and to be honest, sometimes I struggle to believe all scripture. Whoa. What? What? Pastor Caleb struggles to believe all scripture? Yeah, you know why? Because when I get to 2 Peter, and I, I see this, his divine power has granted to me all things that pertain to life and godliness. You, you, when I read that, you know, life is eternal life. Like, that's what God has it's his he alone is the giver of life and then godliness is like this reverential like you're, you're so reverent and you understand who god is and it makes you it like propels you to be like him in the moral characteristics that he has like when i when i read that that he's given me all things to have that which is basically holiness our understanding of holiness set apart that's strange to everyone else. I'm like, God, really? You've given me everything that I need to have that in my life? So yeah, I struggle to believe it all. I know he's holy. I know I should be holy. But then I, like, oh, I trip. I'm like, God, I can't be holy. I, have any of you felt that way? Like, Raise your hand. Like, do you, do you, like, God, you're holy. I'm supposed to be holy like you. How? <laughs> well, it says he's given us all things. Everybody say, all things. All right, stop right there. Don't say anything else I say. They did that in the first service. They kept repeating me like the youth group. But... Like, do we believe this? Do we really believe he has granted to us all things? Like that word granted, that's a word in the Greek that means gifted. It's like God has freely gifted to you all the things that you need to have eternal life, which is where your faith comes in. You believe the message which we're going to see in a minute, and then to have this holiness manifest in your life. You have what you need. And he says, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So I want to unpack this. Before I get into the meat, that's all meat, meat of my sermon, the four sources of hope that we have for holiness, that I want to, I want to start here in verse 3 because there's a 
there's a door, a gateway by which we receive these things. So we have to know this before we keep going. And so let's, let's look at these key words from 1.3. It says that it's through the knowledge. So knowledge. Knowledge in this text, in the Greek, means the full comprehension of a matter. Let me see if I can do it. The full comprehension of a matter. So knowledge of Him. Full comprehension of Him. What does that mean? Knowledge of Him is the full comprehension of who Jesus truly is. He's the Son of God. He is fully God. He is the Lamb of God. He is the propitiation or atoning sacrifice of God. For sin. So, that's where faith is at. Knowledge of Him. Let's keep going. The knowledge of Him who called. Meaning, I love this I love this definition. Did it disappear? Let's get it back. Because I can control it here. Do you guys want me to do that? No. Okay, you do it. It means to summon by name. Think of Lazarus, if you're familiar with the scriptures, in the tomb, dead. Lazarus, come out. The voice of your creator calling you. Calling, summoning by name. And so when it says, who called us, it's saying that Jesus called us personally by name. You didn't just understand something. You heard someone call your name. Now, we're talking like something that occurs in your soul. Something that does something invisible. Might be like Paul. <laughs> Paul, Paul, why do you kick up against the goads? Whatever goads are. But Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. He said, they know my voice. So Jesus summons by name. And then what does he summon us to? His glory and excellence. And glory and excellence is defined as the state of splendor, excellence, and immense worth. That's what Jesus has. Glory and splendor, and it's his. And I... ESV says to his glory and splendor. Some say uh, that it's caused by, but it's both. It's like he called you to his glorious, glorious splendor and from it. Like he's like, that's, or that's why he did it. Because he's glorious and he's splendid. It's amazing. Or glory and excellence, excuse me. But when it says we're going to, that word to is so important. I know that's what the translation 
or what the Greek means, because I, I looked it up. I, in this context, it's two. And so that means this is the movement towards Jesus' splendor, excellence, and immense worth that you originally did not have access to. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. I could not get to that. He had to come over this gap to reach me and call me so that then I now have, by faith, this access to that glory and splendor. But here's the, here's the thing. It's, it's going this way. It's not just staying here. It's like I'm being called to him. This statement, to his glory and splendor, really previews what is next about our hope for holiness. You see, this, when it says to his glory and splendor, this means that there is a trajectory the Christian is on. There is a movement happening. You are moving, being summoned towards Jesus. Towards his glory, his excellence. And the, the, the point is, as Paul says, like, you, as you're looking at this, this amazing gospel and you're moving, you're being transformed from one glory to another. And eventually there's going to be an end to it that finalizes it. But the point is, your faith in Christ is fueling and propelling you towards Jesus. Be because the, the whole point of this is, is you saw how glorious Jesus is and by God's grace he has given you his spirit and he is moving you towards it. You are attracted to it. You're moving towards it. And so when you keep going, the upward call of God, not you already grabbed it or got it your own, but it's you're pressing on towards it. And so this is like this transformation that's happening in the here and now. But that moves us towards it. But you have to get this before I say anything else about hope for holiness. If you, if you don't have that call, if you don't have that call where you've heard Jesus calling you, Towards himself. Meaning like. Hearing the gospel. What Jesus did. And recognizing that you don't have what you need. To live forever. And what you were made for. Like you've seen Jesus has died on the cross. Because your sin has separated you from holiness. Separated you from his holiness. If you don't recognize that. And then aren't being moved towards it, the rest of what I say is worthless to you. So, you know, I'm going to give you my invitation now, not at the end. I've said a lot. I know I could end the sermon here, but this is just my intro. Beloved, have you heard the call of Jesus? Have you recognized your sin separating you from his glory and excellence? Have you recognized that he left heaven to bridge the chasm that lay between us? To call you by name, 
to die in your place so that you might get to him. Have you recognized that? Because if you haven't, you can't have any hope for holiness. So, this is really faith and repentance. You see, faith is that you convictionally believe the gospel. That's knowledge of him. So let's get that up there. You convictionally believe the gospel, the knowledge of him. Repentance is, I'm going to let you guys do it, you convictionally turn from sin and move towards his glory and excellence. Does that make sense? So, this happens through the knowledge of him who called us. So here's my sermon in one sentence. It's not over. Christians can have confident hope that God will progressively manifest in them the holiness he has already gifted to them. And we're going to look at four hopes. The, the first one, power. Everybody say power. Good. It says in verse 3, his divine power, like strength, it's like might, it's infinite. It has granted, gifted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. So the power of God has propelled towards you everything you need for life and godliness. He's propelled towards you the, what you need for salvation. In believing, he's propelled towards you what you need to manifest the holiness. Remember, this is a gift. And you know, I, I, I think of it this way because I think a lot of people get hung up on holiness because they think when you say your life as a Christian is supposed to reflect the life of Christ, meaning you're sinning less, but you're also more aware of your sin. They think you're a legalist at times. They think, well, no, you're saying that I have to do this in order to get salvation. But no, what Peter is telling us here is that not, it's not so that you can get salvation. It's actually so that you're, this, is, this holiness we're talking about is a gift to you. Like, did you know before Christ did the work, called you out of the grave, you did not have the capacity to say no to sin. Like even your best attempts at, at not sinning were filthy rags. But when Christ comes in and the Spirit comes in and that free gift of all things come to you, you have the capacity to not sin. You now have the capacity to manifest all things that pertain to life and godliness. So when we're talking about this, we're talking about a gift, beloved. His power, because he has the ability to do it, you, you did not have the power to get those things. Only he did. And now you have that gift. 
The gift isn't just being justified. The gift is being sanctified. Which we'll talk about in a moment. But His power. His power is at work, beloved. You experience this power when you're able to comprehend the gospel. You experience this power when God gives you to forgive a thief, a spouse, a rapist, whoa, a murderer, a corrupt leader. Like you get to experience this power in your life. God's power is at work. And I, I would say for those in CR that are going to CR for their hurts, habits, and hang-ups, do you see and recognize that you have, by God's power, all things to overcome? I don't know how long it's going to take, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know how long it's going to take, but I know because he said it. So power. Now, let's look at verse 4. The second source of hope is promises. I like this one. I like it all, but I like this. This is the triune God's promises. He says, the, that glory and excellence by which of that, that glory and excellence has granted, there's that word again, again, it's like a gift, a free gift. He has granted to us his precious Learn and I are watching Lord of the Rings. This is not like an evil one ring. Not like that. That's, that was not precious. That was a lie. This is not a lie. These are precious, truly precious, and they are very great promises. Do you know why these are very Great and precious promises. First of all, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about, beloved? What am I talking about? What is this? This is God's word. Filled with promises. But do you know what makes these very great and precious, it's not because of just what they give you or just what they can do to you. It's because of where they come from. These are very great and precious because He is very great and precious. This reveals His mind. And motives and desires and passions. His value defines the value of his promises. But drawing back a little bit, you gotta remember that I said that these this stuff is reserved for those who have been personally summoned by Jesus. Did you know that part of your summoning was when you heard some of the promises? Those promises of what Christ did are revealed by this, and then we respond. Oh. 
Let me define a promise. Maybe you're like, okay, well, yeah, great, great. Promises, promises, promises made, promises kept, right? This is what the Greek English lexicon in the New Testament defines as promises. A declaration to do something with implication of obligation to carry out what is stated. Do you know why we don't really feel the weight of that as much when we say promise? Because everyone in this room fails at promises. The idea and understanding of a promise is so much lesser than it should be because we fall short of the glory of God. But the one of whom I am speaking to you, these promises that are your gift from him, this is one who never makes a mistake. This is one who never forgets. I'm so forgetful. My wife could tell you that. I, she says, hey, will you do this? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. I promise. You know what she asked me the next day? She asked me to do it again. Because I forgot. And, I'm, and you know, I hate this part of me. There are moments I don't intend at times to do this. But I think deep down I do. Sometimes I lie. Just like you. But do you know what the scriptures say? the one of whom these promises came from, it is impossible for him to lie. He made that promise. <laughs> but beloved, this is a declaration. These are a declaration to do something with implication of an obligation to carry out what is stated. And these are yours to receive. And they are his to fulfill. His to fulfill. Wouldn't we want to know these promises? Hey, you're going way too fast, bro. Thank you. <laughs> you guys are doing great, though. But wouldn't we want to know what this says? If there's promises for us, don't we want to know them? Why would we value other promises or other words that would be in opposition to this. That's, I'm just going to say this, theological liberalism that redefines words and promises things that are not in here that are contradictory to this. Beloved, why would you believe that? This is so much better. And you know, uh, Passion this week, they gave people an opportunity, the young people an opportunity. All right, I'm hurrying up. He gave people, the young, the young people, opportunity to pay to translate the Bible into languages that it hasn't been in. Paying money, spending money. But do you know for you, beloved, the English, do you know what else has been spent for you to receive? these promises. The blood of our brothers and sisters. Write this down. 
please, or put it in your phone. William Tyndale. Next to it, how he died and his last words. There's an excellent article about him translating. I mean, it's the reason we get the KJV. KJV is the reason we get this, ESV. It's amazing how a man would be willing to spill his blood, literally have his throat slit, and burned at the stake for translating this. And then have his prayers answered. It's amazing. Look it up. But why would someone do that? Why would someone spend that on this? Well, why? Why? How about he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal Life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We know, we know that if this tent that is our earthly dwelling is destroyed, we have an eternal dwelling with God. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Behold! He is coming on the clouds with fire and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. And Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. He who testifies to these things says, truly, I am coming soon. If you know what comes next, say it with me. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's why. That's very great. That's very precious, beloved. And these are yours. And you know, let's go to this last slide. This is what I think makes it so beautiful is that God has obligated himself to keep his promises to us. God has obligated himself to keep his promises to us. We do not deserve that. We have God's promises. Third, we have participation. Verse 4. Thinking of the promises so that through them you may become partakers or participants. That, that word is when someone who is, someone's participating in something. Or in this sense, joining in on something that someone else has. And they're just being invited to get some of it. Participate in it. So that we might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because 
of sinful desires. This is what he's saying. He's saying that, excuse me, Jesus is sharing his nature with us. Not his position as God, but his privilege as God. And when I say privilege, I don't mean like the privilege of having his authority. There is some authority for some reason he entrusts to us, but what we're speaking of is a privilege of inheritance, a privilege of immortality, a privilege of sinlessness, a privilege of holiness, privilege of really all things. Peter isn't the only one who's saying stuff like this. Paul says stuff like this. Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things. So it's like you gift all things that pertain to life and godliness, and then all things become a, that are, like they're changing you. Like sickness, suffering, good things, bad things. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean it's just going to get better, but it means what this says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. To make us holy. in order that the Son might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called or summoned. Come on out. Come on out. Come to me. And those whom he called, he also justified. That's what he did at the cross. In our faith, we looked at it, we're justified, just as if I never sinned. Looked at as holy. Now, And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Not yet. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Man, Jesus and the Father, man, they love sharing. Praise God. Participation. But do you know what unlocks this participation for us? Like, Jesus is inviting us to come into the blessing of his privilege to participate in what he is, but we participate in what he is because he participated in what we are. Does that make sense? This is Jesus entering into human experience, coming into this world, living the life we could never live. He experienced every every heartache that you experience. He's had it. He got sick. He experienced a dad dying. He experienced being rejected and made fun of by his siblings. You ever anybody been made fun of your brothers and sisters? Hey, it's in the gospels. Jesus has experienced, you know, the only thing that while he was doing his life up until the cross, he didn't experience was what it's like to sin. We experienced that. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Those of you who struggle with the weight of sin. The scriptures say in Romans that he made him sin who knew no sin 
so that we might be the righteousness of God. Jesus did not sin in his life, but do you know what weight he had to carry? Your sin. All that guilt, all that shame, all that condemnation, Jesus received it in the moment he was on the cross. So that you and I could receive his righteousness. Participate in who he is. We participated in what we participate in what he is because he participated in what we are. To this I hope my hope hold my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. His spirit has come into me and is propelling me towards and even enabling that current participation to be fully realized one day. I love this hymn. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free, for, oh God, it found out me. Fourth verse, no condemnation. Now I dread Jesus, and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. We participate in what he is because he participated in what we are. Beloved, you've been invited. So I'm going to give you my last point and conclude. Those power, promise, participation, those are all three things, three sources of hope that God is doing, like he does those things. But this last thing I'm going to mention is important for you to understand. This is something you have to respond to. He's doing it, but you have to respond to it. And if just so you are aware, I'm not speaking of, of works-based salvation. That's not what I'm about to tell you. I'm not about to tell you that you have to work to be justified. Because the scriptures are clear. We are saved through faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. Remember, faith brings about this thing that is magnetized towards His glory and excellence. And if you're moving that direction because you're magnetized, all that stuff, the closer you get to Him, is going to fall off of you. Beloved. But if your faith is not magnetized towards what pleases God, but is instead repelled by what the promises reveal please Him, then it's safe to say that you've come to know and be called by an imposter. I don't want you to follow imposters. So here's the final hope we have. Practice. Practice of the qualities. Let me just read verses 9 through 11. For whoever lacks these qualities, if they're not there, 
He's so nearsighted that he's blind. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. That's a heavy word. Be diligent to confirm your calling and election. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's talking about salvation in a sense. He is. But here's where we got we to gotta unmuddy the waters. Salvation, the scriptures reveal, is made up of three aspects. Maybe you know this. Justification is God and his declaration that you are righteous in Christ because you've placed your faith in Christ. And his work for salvation. So, the debt's paid. Nothing else to do. Jesus did it. On the cross. Justified, just as if I never sinned. He looks at you and he sees holy. The holiness of Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus. Justified. Sanctified. Sanctification. This is God providing for and working with you. Towards making you look more like righteous Jesus. If you don't know already, you are here. Welcome to sanctification, beloved. <laughs> it's glorious, sometimes painful. The third is glorification. And this is the not yet. God completes your salvation by fully transforming you. Like finally doing all of it. It's like done. You got a resurrected and glorified Body and it resembles righteous Jesus. Man, that's I'm excited about that. Oh, I don't want to sin anymore. Amen. I hope you don't. I also just want to behold him without distraction of sin. But they're all intertwined. And I'm just going to say this like real quick. Glorification is the effect, meaning it comes from the justification and sanctification. And then justification was caused by God. Like God did that. He gifted you mysteriously with faith that like through the righteousness or the, through the justification. At you. I don't get it, but it, that's what I think scripture says. And then it's evidenced by your sanctification and then ultimately, finally, your glorification. But I'm just going to say this. Don't judge. Don't just judge and throw out. Well, rightly judge. But here's the thing. Sometimes sanctification looks different for people. So I just want to say that. Don't be like, oh, where's evidence of your salvation? But the real evidence will be at the end. Glorification. So justification is evidenced by sanctification and glorification. But sanctification is caused by your justification. Like, you got it. You got it. just as if I never sinned. Now I'm looked at as holy, and then the Spirit's propelling me towards what will be the evidence of my sanctification, my glorification. That's so confusing, I don't even get it. Sorry to confuse you, but here's the thing. They're all intertwined. And they, that's why he says, make, in verse 5, make every effort. Because sanctification is so important. And he says to supplement your faith with, and he's going to list. But let me just define supplement. Supplement is, is like furnishing. Like you buy a house. Here's a, here's a good idea. 
you buy a house. Or let's say your faith is this house that's been gifted to you by God mysteriously. You are protected from the wind and the rain. I got a picture of a house. Find that one. Throw the house up there. I want you to get this. There it is in the snow. Man, that is your house of faith. You got the walls. You got the roof. And it's there. It's there. But here's the thing. All the things that are listed in this are supposed to be furnishings that make the house more effective. Brent, you can't stay warm without installing a fireplace or a heater, right? So you're supposed to supplement your house with heat, a source of heat. A refrigerator, keep your food from spoiling. Table to eat on. Chairs to sit on. Couches to recline in. Beds to sleep in. That's what it means to supplement. You're making it actually effective. It might protect you from the outside, but man, you don't have anything to eat on. You're going to be sitting on the floor, eating on the floor. Hey, you're going to be going to the bathroom on the floor if you didn't supplement it with a toilet, right? Oh, you're going to be eating off the place you pee? Man, you're going to get E. coli. What good is that protection? Yeah, but one thing I just have to say is like you also are supplementing it with shutters. Man, Claire loves beautiful houses. She sends me Zillow pictures all the time. Like, oh, look at this house. That's a beautiful house, man. That's so pretty. Man, imagine the person building that house had all these shutters. God's like, hey, I'm going to give you all this. I'm going to pay for it. Hey, my power's going to deliver it in my big old truck. I'm going to set it outside your door. All you have to do is come join me. Let's carry it in. Hey, let's get these shutters. Let's nail them on the outside of this house. Hey, let's get a really nice mailbox. Looks beautiful. Oh, man, let's paint it. Let's supplement it with some paint. I mean, that's a beautiful taupe color. You know what? Man, that house, people are going to want to go in that house. Right? Hey, guess what? They get in there, they got something to eat on. Wow, they get to experience the saving faith you have because it's been supplemented. Like, that's why he says, like, he's like, you're, if you don't have these things, you're not effective in the knowledge of Christ. It's like, there's no eff effectiveness to your house. And God has provided for us all things. And here are some of these all things. You got this faith. It's like, it's like the, the belief, you're like believing and you supplement that with virtue or an excellence of character. You have integrity. You're doing righteous things. You're exhibiting the moral characteristics of God. And people are like, dude, that's so strange. But I like that. This is basically for you. You're like, I am going to pursue being a man or a woman of integrity. Because Jesus is so good, I'm going I'm to have integrity. I'm going to keep my word. I'm not going to swindle people. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie on my taxes. I'm going to make sure my business reflects the moral characteristics that God has. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to... Chick-fil-A closed on Sundays. That's, I'm not saying that's one of the things. But, man, you're just like, I want virtue. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make every effort. Have virtue. 
And then I'm going to supplement that. I'm going to like, like think of a fireplace. That's your fireplace. And then you're like, hey, this painting is going to make this really stand out. Poof. Knowledge. And this is the same word here used in verse 3. So if that's the context, this fully knowing something, that means it's the full knowledge of who Jesus is. That means you are like increasingly understanding more of Jesus. You are like, man, I got to know Jesus. I'm going to get in those promises. I'm going to increase in the knowledge of Christ. You know, this is what you do when you get married. You should. Like, you should know your spouse. Bride of Christ, you should know your husband. That's what this is saying. Like, you learn. What makes you smile, Jesus? Oh, what makes you weep? What makes you angry? Oh, oh, Jesus. What makes you so real in a person's life? How can I, how can I pursue that, Lord? This is the knowledge. You're increasing in this knowledge. And then you take that knowledge and you're supplementing that with self-control. Oh, man, this is hard for me. Let me just define this. And ask my wife, ask my mom. She embarrassed me in the first service when I said this. Self-control is restraint of one's emotions, impulses, or desires. That is self-control. How many of you have known me for three years? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. You probably know I'm pretty impulsive and emotional. How about five years? Frank, keep that hand up. Ten years. 15 years. At this point, everybody put their hand down and my mom was like, yeah, I know. I, I can be so impulsive and lack self-control. I've had people I love tell me that. And I have, oh, this is where I've really struggled to believe the scripture that all things have been granted to me. Because I'm like, dude, make so many excuses. Why can't... Whatever, no more excuses. Here's the thing. Jesus has granted to me all things. His power's delivered it to me. If you're in this room and you're just like, man, like me, like I'm so impulsive, I lack self-control. Hey, beloved, have hope. Have hope. All things, it's just you got to learn to start saying no to yourself. We say no to a lot of other things. But say no to yourself. No to your desires. No, I'm not going to look at that. No, I'm not going to watch that. No, I'm not going to eat that. No, I'm not going to drink that. No, I'm not going to say that to him. Man, my impulses have hurt so many people unintentionally. Oh, may I grow in this because Jesus is better. Self-control, and this is supplemented with steadfastness. Meaning it's going to, I'm just going to be resolute and, and I'm going to be dutiful to this. I'm going to keep it going. You know, I said... I said no to a bribe last year. I'm going to say no this year. I made it my aim to know God, know Christ more fully. Last year, I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. Steadfast. And then that's supplemented with godliness, which is that same word we were talking about. All things, it's like this reverential awe of who God is that is awakened and then 
manifests in being in wanting to be more like him and exhibit his character traits. It's like, do you see the weight of who he is? And it, does it make you want to reflect him so people will see him? So it's like when you have this, it makes you be in awe of what we have here. This is going to be a priority for me. I'm going to get here because he's worth worship. If you have this reverential awe, you're going to look at people in your life and you're going to say, my Lord has said to me, love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to love people well. It's like this manifestation of God-like living. It's supposed to help me out. Would it make you treat others well and treat God the way he's supposed to be treated? That's godliness. And then this is supplemented with brotherly affection, which is a familial affection, not just a feeling. I forgot to say this in the first service. I should have said this. It's, it's usually actions that reform feelings towards people. It's like doing kindness towards others that don't deserve it and because they're part of your family. Brotherly affection, phileo, Philadelphia, brotherly love. This isn't just feelings. It's considering others more significant than yourself. And then brotherly affection, which is wild because that's amazing love, brotherly love, brotherly affection, but the next one, it, it, this is supplemented with love, agape. The all, and this isn't an emotion, this is an action. Look at what 1 Corinthians says. Love is patient. This is the only way I can define it for you. <laughs> love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is what drove Jesus to the cross for you. Beloved. And these qualities build each other. So, here, here's, here's what Peter's saying. You got this faith. You got this house. But, beloved, this house, if it's really the protection that you claim it is, if it really is what you say it is, it's furnished. And it keeps getting furnished. Sometimes you remove the painting to put another beautiful painting in. It's like you just keep building and working with God with He's provided with you, for you. And you're making it more and more beautiful, beloved. Because we are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. Why? Because his divine power has granted to us, gifted to us, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So I want to ask the band to come up here. And just you guys, just start playing. But here, here's... What I, I heard this week from a guy named Ben Stewart, Ellis pastor in D.C. 
He was talking about when the word, when Jesus gave this parable, it's like he throws out seeds. This is the word. It goes into heart. The word of Christ sometimes gets snatched up. The promises get snatched up. Sometimes they grow in bad soil, rocks or on a path. And he, and he, he was saying like there's only one soil that actually will get the seed germinated to where life occurs and then a sprout comes up and then leaves form and then it produces a harvest. That's what we're talking about here. The word coming into our life and producing a harvest, life and godliness. That's what we're talking about. But he said, the only way it can happen is if there is an honest, teachable and receptive heart because that precedes a transformed life. You've got to have the heart before you have the harvest. That heart he's describing is a humble heart. When you hear these promises from scripture, what is your attitude towards them? Do you see the life, the eternal life that Christ offers as something that is not worth pursuing? Do you see Jesus as something, someone who is not excellent and worthy of pursuit? Are you obsessed with yourself? Where is your heart? Where is the humility? Do you, look, are you, are you humble enough to recognize, like really recognize your need for Jesus, your need for his glory and excellence, your need for his cross? Are you humble enough to recognize your need for his power, this source of hope? Or the, are you humble enough to recognize your need for his promises, this other source of hope? Are you humble enough to recognize your need for his invitation and supplies to participate. This beloved is what produces harvest. This is what draws you to practice all things. That's what practice is, it's harvest. So my encouragement to everyone here, humbly, Please recognize your need wherever you are. If you are in Christ or out of Christ, see both his worth, his worth of receiving and his worth of pursuing, his worth of harvest. Will you stand with us real quick? Let's close our eyes. Let's hit the lights if we can. Close your eyes for just a moment. We're going to sing. All these things are from Christ. He's the only reason we have Him. He is our living hope. 